Blog Talk Radio. Well, there we go. Good man is on fire. Which direction we are going? That rectangle Camino. It would have been DWI. A tipping point. Good evening. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and those who identify as non-binary. It is time once again for the tipping point, and we have a very special guest, um, Larry. You know, there's a yes, lot sir. of historical things about this uh, match coming up between Shalance Royal and the NWA Women's Champion, who will be our guest. Has there ever been a current reigning world champion who has been a guest on the tipping point as they were a world champion? Uh, you know, I don't believe so. But I must correct the major screw-up on our last podcast saying that was the first this was the first title defense NWA women women's world champion world women's champion title defense in uh, Georgia in a long time because of course Camille won the title in Georgia and I just I completely yeah, overlooked the fact that she won once. Thunder Rosa won the title in the Georgia Public Broadcasting Studios, and Camille won the title at the Georgia Public Broadcasting Studios. And Camille then subsequently defended the title there. So, oops. So, I guess the correction would be: it's never been defended in Georgia in a long, long time, except at the Georgia Public Broadcasting Studios. That's an interesting thing in that. It is easy to ignore those shows, not because good stuff didn't happen on them, not because people didn't attend them, but there's something about those studio shows that don't feel quite like a show. Does that make sense? I mean, like that's, I know that sounds very odd, but I think because of those, when I think of those studio shows, I think those are shows with the intent of being a broadcast first and a live event second, right? Well, and, that's certainly true uh, of those shows, yeah, because they really were TV studio shows, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, that was the intent. N- nevertheless, it did but happen. Having Camille on is a big get, um, and we're certainly looking forward to talking to her and she's going to be defending against Shalance Royal. Um, is it this Sunday? I believe it's it this is. Sunday this Sunday in Warner Robins. Yes. At the VFW. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So 
a big, huge deal. Can't wait to talk to Camille. Um, but Larry, is there anything else you would like to talk about? Well, we've got a couple news items here. One, um, of course, Terminus has their show number two uh, Thursday night, but it will not be at that same venue. It's at a place called the Oasis, down in yeah. the true swats of Atlanta is where that show will be taking place. And we've had some lineup changes here due to injuries. Uh, Leo Rush is out, Gabriel Kidd's out, and due to visa problems, Joss Alexander is out. However, a match that has been made that is extremely interesting, Davey Richards versus Swerve. This I want to see. <laughs> wow. Um, I saw today where Davey Richards got a brand-new tattoo. That thing is crazy-looking. It's sort of this... Japanese tattoo on his back. Um, it covers, you know, probably a good 25% of his entire back. Um, so he's got his tattoo, and something tells me he's going to regret getting it <laughs> when he gets in there with a Swerve Scott. Um, Swerve, I mean, I, you know, I think that's another great get for Terminus, which is one of their secrets, I think, is they just have a knack for getting the right people and getting people who you really want to see and in matchups that are completely intriguing, I got to think Swerve Scott is not a guy who's going to be on the open market very long, don't you think? No, I, I would agree. You know, and another, another guy that got in there to replace, uh, you know, some of the absences is Chris Saban is booked for this show mm. now. So they're, they're really doing well within the uh, recruiting, getting interesting talent booked on these shows. They're, do, they're doing great at that. Um, and, you know, we've got a couple new uh, promotions popping up in Georgia. Uh, oh, we've got yeah. Classic City Wrestling. It's going op- to start up in uh, April in Athens, back at Southern Brewing. It's um, Justin Legend's new project since he parted ways with uh, Southern Violence. And he's, he's going to run monthly out there. And he's got Cyrus uh, Very Morales booked for the first show. And uh, our guest next week is resuming Deep South Wrestling. Nick Patrick will be joining us next Tuesday night, and they are going to be running a show Friday, March 4th, at a music studio in Grant Park, of all places. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. is going... There are... Oh, my God. There's so much happening. And um, I recently saw a thing where David Marquez said, um, he goes, oh, I challenge anybody, any state, to try to match the output of the SoCal wrestling scene. And he goes, we had, you know, over 100 shows take place over a four-month period. And I fucking laughed my ass off. Like, uh, <laughs> all right, that's, that's ain't that sweet. Um, I would guess that Georgia runs, on average – on average, at least 10 shows a weekend. I mean, and that's probably a, a slightly underestimate. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, Rob you, does a great job keeping track of that stuff. And, yeah, uh, if, you, if you look at Rob's post, there's at least 10, you know, unless it's a really light weekend like we had a couple of weekends ago, but typically 10 to 15, I want to say, on a weekend of shows. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, George is doing just fine, folks. And... Um, and the shows are continuing to draw. I think that is a huge story. I mean, with Wrestle America, 
very casually sort of checking in with their 320-some-odd fans. Um, that makes yet another show in February that's got 300 or more. And what this is telling is shows are doing this even when a couple of shows that traditionally drew really well right now aren't doing well. But the likes of Southern Honor, Southern Fried, you know, Rest America now, KLT continues to always put 300 or more in the building. It's really a remarkable thing. Did, did you happen to see that post by uh, Zach Mosley, our uh, feud of the year guy and faction of the year, stable of the year guy, about his about last weekend? That he, he, no. He worked in... He worked in front of 1,500 people over three nights. He worked for a promotion oh. in Alabama called ASWA that I'm not really familiar with uh, on Friday. Then he was at KLT Saturday. Then he was at AML on Sunday. Uh, all told, 1,500 people at those three shows. So pretty pretty solid weekend for Zach Mosley. Yeah, Tracy Myers, I mean, who does, you know, WrestleCade and also does those AML shows. I mean, those shows kill, you know. And so that show alone, he got half of that 1,500 mark, did he not? I mean, that, right. he probably got that at AML. And so, no, you're right. We, he, okay. he, had, he, had, he had AML at uh, either 7 or 750 attendance yeah. for that show. Yeah, it's really impressive. It's, it's, it, there's a lot to be proud of in the South. I think, you know, um, the prestige is, is raising um, show after show after show. Uh, you know, AC Mack being the IWTV world champion. And then, you know, this whole Southeast first thing. And now we have that show starting, uh, focusing on not just action, but this idea of the Southeast first. And so, uh, dude, it's incredible oh, yeah. time in wrestling. Yeah, forget, forgot to mention that. The Uncharted Territories is going to run their next season. It's going to be in Chattanooga at the TWE Arena. So that's certainly a, another feather in Southern Wrestling's cap. And uh, for those guys, a really nice lead into the uh, SCI. Um, so oh, that's, that's, right. that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, because that will finish up just before SCI. Uh, I mean, so just, very nice. Larry, did you, did you ever think, I mean, it's, you know, a couple of years ago, we were talking about is it worth having the awards, right? I mean, that was the debate. <laughs> Right? Like, is it worth having these awards? Because, you know, I would, like there was, there was even this sort of faint smell in the air of death of wrestling. And now, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, granted, we're in the full uh, bloom of uh, tax return season. So that's always a nice shot in the arm <laughs> of any number of promotions to kind of give it a go. Um, you know, I saw where even even stranglehold the no. you know the the herpes cold no. sore of wrestling is going to be a big part of Momocon and so they're beginning Ugh. to put up the worst promos you've ever seen. By the way, cheap plug. I'm going to be looking at one of their horrifically bad promos. Um I'm gonna look at that either tonight or tomorrow morning. So oh, lovely. I, expe- I expect it to be um, on par with the uh, War Daddy promo that I looked at, where it was just one of these things that just caught fire as I just could not contain my glee. Um, but I have a feeling War Daddy may be eclipsed by the incredible, terrible nature <laughs> of this other promo done with a 
cell phones. They were going for sort of a Zach Mosley <laughs> Skrilla vibe. <laughs> and let's just say it was not Skrilla and Zach Mosley or Candy Cannoli involved in this one. So yeah. it's pretty great. Oh, by the way, I was so glad you reviewed the Will Caution Jeter uh, segment from Anarchy, the last Anarchy show, and that you um, also thought, thought that was pretty great. Yes. Um, in this time, uh, you know, in the last full disclosure I talked about, which got great response, the difference between sort of macro storytelling and micro storytelling. Mm-hmm. And to me, uh, I, I explained that, you know, people who are trying to hold the WWE to a standard, they don't care about micro storytelling anymore. They don't care about it. They don't care about um, nuances in a promo. They don't care about stories in a match. It's who wins, who loses, and how that can pair you up later. That's all they're worried about right now. That's all they care about. And uh, you know, Will Carter's, yeah, I mean, his promo to me was an idea, It was the best of both where it was micro storytelling, um, but then it's also going to lead to sort of these kind of bigger storytelling elements between he and Jeter. I mean, they did a turn based on give me that necklace, Um, and I thought that that was really, really powerful stuff. Um, You know, I was thinking, uh, I kind of took the, not kind of, I did take the weekend off from uh, the wrestling scene and got a little time away uh, just for a little rest and relaxation. And I was thinking, which, you know, which was the more exciting event this weekend, uh, the Elimination Chamber or the uh, NBA Slam Dunk Contest? <laughs> I will tell you this. One thing that I thought was the big takeaway, because I compared, in full disclosure, I compared um, Elimination Chamber with No Surrender, the um, impact. Oh. What, there no and sort of the epitome of how both – well, see, you didn't even know, right? Which is, which is the problem with Impact in a nutshell is they're very good at micro storytelling right now, very good. But none of the elements that they're doing well can possibly lead to a bigger audience, right? Mm. That's their problem is, yes, the Ring of Honor stuff is really good. Yes, every individual match and promo matters now. Um, but they don't have this idea of capturing the imagination with the story. It's just doing things well, um, but doing them well, like, you know, it's very internal, whereas WWE is all external, right? Everything is like, does it matter that Brock Lesnar went in there and basically pinned their entire upper mid card after one move each? That matters in a pro wrestling context. But for them, it doesn't, right? It's just like, and then Brock comes in and, you know, pin Seth, pin AJ, pin blah, blah, blah. And they're at the point where they legitimately don't care. It's like, we don't care about making anybody look good. Who looks good? The point is, we've got to get this graphic up of Brock versus Roman. That's what we're trying to leave them with, is the big story. It doesn't matter that the girls are in beekeeper suits. Like, to their credit... The women made the most out of, okay, if we've got to be covered from the neck down, we're going to have the coolest outfit. The women of the WWE and whoever's making their outfits, they made the best of a bad situation. There was not uh-huh. a woman that didn't look extraordinary. In fact, Liv Morgan, with her sort of ode to Britney Spears 
oops, I did it again outfit, I was blown away. I was like, this is a great thing to do, which is like, all right, <laughs> we're going to get covered from head to toe. Then we're going to just put on the coolest. Because for a while, WWE kind of gave up um, yeah. in the sort of outfit department, with the exception of like Sasha Banks at Royal Rumble. For the most part, they don't treat the big events like they used to. Um, which is, I think, a morale issue and a bunch of other stuff. But definitely for Saudi Arabia, it was like, we got to show out. And um, it's good to see. Yeah, I, I, somewhere I was uh, read that the, the actual total match time on that three-hour, I guess they, get, they got out before three hours on the Elimination Chamber. Total match yeah. time was like, I, I want to say an hour and six minutes, hour and seven yeah. minutes. The, the two Elimination Chamber matches were less than 30 minutes combined. Yeah. So you know you're yeah. in trouble already. Uh, Lots so of filler. Because they don't care. They don't care, right? Whereas, I mean, there probably wasn't a match in no, you know, no surrender. You know, they had their big, like, Ring of Honor versus – I mean, that match was at least 20 minutes long, right? So just a different focus. And – that's going to be the war um, that pro wrestling fights because as where the goldfish swim, the feces follow. And as much <laughs> as people want to pretend that they, uh, that, you know, nobody takes their cues off of WWE, people still do. It's just now AEW is an influence also, right? Yeah. AEW has changed WWE. They opened for crying out loud with Roman versus Goldberg, which should tell you that the AEWification of matchmaking um, and card structuring has happened. Southern Honor will oh, see it as well. You know. It's unquestionable. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Hey, so we uh, see about our guest here. Oh, Let's please, yes. Let's see uh, how this... Uh, See if we can get her on the phone here. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. The old blog talk. Let's see how she works. All right. Let's go. The NWA World Women's Champion. Please leave your message for... Haley Farmer. Hi, this is the Tipping Point Podcast calling. Please try us back. The number is 347-324-5735. Thank you. So there you have Larry, it. <laughs> Larry, let me, let me tell you this. Larry, you have convinced me to look into uh, my car's extended warranty. That 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 was some good phone voice you were giving there, Larry. Yeah, <laughs> I tried. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, Camille will call us back in a bit. I will say this: um, I will I will just sort of throw the question to you that I was going to ask her right off of the bat. Please do. Which is, I, I have to be honest and say that I was not the biggest Camille fan. I thought, you know. Oh, you know, obviously Thunder Rosa had to lose because she was clearly going to be AEW, right? Um, and I remember thinking to myself when they said, oh, Camille's the one that beat her, 
that I couldn't even pretend to be excited about that. I think following an act like Thunder Rosa is an incredibly difficult task to do. But she did it. Um, I think she was being very successful about doing it. And so I was going to ask her um, what she attributed that to. What, What would you attribute that to? Because Thunder Rosa, to me, is about as hot a hand as you have in wrestling in general, much less women's wrestling. Well, um, I, what I can tell you from seeing her at the, that first uh, two sets of um, NWA tapings, that I saw a much more polished, confident performer than the the, the you know the you know pretty green person I saw wrestling for um, AWE a couple years earlier. Obviously, physically, she was incredible. Um, yeah. Even even in the uh, AWE days, it's like boy, oh boy, oh boy. But this was a different level of of um, performer that that came to those NWA tapings. Yes, indeed. I would. I'm fascinated with the match between her and Shalance for this reason. I just as Camille was the person who had something to prove. I see that kind of chip on the shoulder of Shalance. I think Shalance clearly understands that this is her chance to sort of make an impression, um, which Shalance does exceedingly well. I think she's managing to stand out in this sort of sea of indie talent that are on AEW Dark and Dark Elevation. Every time Shalance's on there, she does something to stand out. And, uh, and uh, Steve, we're now going to be joined by the NWA World Women's Champion, Camille. Welcome to the Tipping Point. Hello, how are you guys? Excellent. Great to have you on, Champ. Uh, um, thank you. We, Larry, and I were just discussing how you went from somebody who seemed like you had almost a, a just a kind of a yeoman's task. Thunder Rosa is somebody who, I don't think it's a secret, um, you know, just an incredible presence in wrestling in general. And it had to be a hard act to follow. But in my opinion, you pulled it off. What do you attribute that to the fact that you've been able to, I'm not going to say make people forget Thunder Rosa, but I don't think there's anybody who views you as some kind of interim champion or anything like that. You're legit. You're the real deal. What do you attribute that to? No, definitely not. And I do think people have forgot about Santa Rosa in the NWA. So that's that. Uh, mm. I would say that I would say that just because, you know, I'm a fighting champion. I didn't just get in and just sit back and wait for challenges to come through the NWA. I went out and I was defending this on the Indies all over the country. So, you know, any any challengers are welcome. I'm a fighting champion, so let's do it. Yes. Larry, Camille, I'm I'm uh, curious um, because of your um, incredible athletic background. I mean the um, the women's football league, college uh, division one softball. What appealed to you about pro wrestling, given your um, athletic background coming into it? Yeah, so I grew up watching it with my dad. Uh, of course, when I kind of got into high school and stuff, I I just kind of fell out watching it. I didn't really keep up with it anymore and then I went to college I tried to do the whole real job you know type of thing and then I was like wow this sucks 
So, uh, yeah. So I went back home. I went back home for uh, like Christmas break or something like that one time. And um, I went to an independent show, like in the boondocks with my dad. And it was terrible. It was a really, I mean, the wrestling was terrible. It was a terrible show. But guess what? I was having a great time. It was, I was really enjoying myself watching it. And, um, and I just kind of woke up the next morning, and I was like, hey, you know, I used to watch this growing up. I, I liked it growing up, and I've always played sports. I used to do some acting when I was little, and it's a combination of everything. So, yeah, I dove in. Do you think where you, did um, you dive in? Where, where did you dive in? Like, who, who would you attribute as your trainer? That kind of thing. Uh, I Googled how to become a professional wrestler, and found out we had to go through, yeah. And you know, it's a it's a weird like thing to get into if you don't know anybody that does it, or you know, you're not like a generational you know family person. So I uh, googled it, and then found out you had to go to wrestling school. And I found a wrestling school down in Florida in Kissimmee uh, that the Dudley Boys ran, so they were my trainers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you think? Um, how do you think your um, experience with softball and uh, football did it help hurt? Did it have any bearing at all on being a pro wrestler? You know, it didn't, as far as getting in the ring and getting your footing in the ring, it didn't really correlate there. Um, But just kind of having a little bit of athleticism in general is always going to help you over someone that doesn't have anything. But I would say it helped me the most as far as just the mentality and being able to handle criticism, being able to handle, you know, not always succeeding and failing and having to try and really the work ethic that went into, you know, I woke up every morning at five o'clock, had to do workouts, had to go to class and had to have practice for three hours into the night. And so just that work ethic that took that, you know, I had in collegiate division one softball helped me out in wrestling a lot. I think people might be tempted, like they'll hear softball, especially men, because men are dumb, right? So they hear <laughs> Division One softball and they go like, who cares? Let me tell you, when I was at University of Hawaii and I would tutor the athletes, right? And two things that we did not sleep on, that anybody who knew anything about them knew how competitive it was and how it was its own, it was its own kind of world were softball and, and women's volleyball. They really occupy this space where, like, if you're fans of them, you're fanatical about them. There's, there's a lot of tie-ins there with pro wrestling. And there really is this sort of knowledge of the world. So, like, if you were a Division One softball player, then you knew who the powerhouses were, it was its own thing. They kind of handled their own sort of prestige within the thing. So I could see where the softball world, plus the level of competition was incredibly high and very, very intense for both volleyball and softball for the women. So when people hear that, they might try to dismiss it, as people tend to do for some stupid reason, but make no mistake about it. It's as legitimate as any sport going and the fierceness of the competition would probably catch a lot of people prize. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So side note, we actually played in Hawaii at the university of Hawaii, had it, the fans, even the, the, the fans, because it was like a tournament type thing. So um, we played other schools other than the university of Hawaii, but we played them as well. And the fans ended up really like rooting for us too. when we played other teams and they were great. And, and I got, 
I remember one of my best memories from college was at the University of Hawaii. It was a play at the plate to end the game, and I threw her out from left field, and so to end the game, and we won. So that's my mm. little side note memory from the University of Hawaii. But, um, yeah, it, it's definitely, I mean, if you look at anyone that has played, and that's the thing is, like, I can say this because I've literally played pretty much every major sport, including football, and the hardest sport there is to play is baseball and softball. As far as a mental standpoint and just being able to hit a ball, it's the hardest thing you can do in any sport is hitting a ball, a moving object with another moving object. The hardest thing you can do in any sport. So if anyone wants to come at me, let's have a talk then. <laughs> it's like, you know what I, mean? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I was just one more question about the, uh, the football league. You know, they didn't like let you guys wear the uh, normal padding that the men wear. It looked like it was an awfully tough game. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, you had to get ins- your own insurance to play it, and the pa- so what it was was the helmet was like a, a helmet with a little screen shield over your eyes, and that was it. And you had like a chin strap. And that was it. And so the, my first play of my first game there, I almost broke my jaw because someone came up with their hands and just popped me right in the jaw because we have no protection there. And uh, and the padding, it was just because they wanted to see your boobs and stuff like that. So it was like these, like, little kitty shoulder pads. Like, so you had – I mean, it was like no protection at all. <laughs> at all. Wow. So I guess you're ready for the impact of pro wrestling after that. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, football was football was definitely even at practice. I, the, one of the I think probably like the fourth practice of the season, I broke my hand just from doing. I, I don't even remember what it was from, but it's very very physical sport. <laughs> yeah. Switching back so you're to pro wrestling for a second. Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Go, Larry. Um, just curious about um, what you consider your um, your favorite matches so far in your career. Uh, favorite matches. I mean, the one that comes to mind, of course, my favorite favorite one is me and Layla Hirsch at Empower, uh, just because it was such a fun story to tell. And not only that, but the fans they were they were great because it was an all women's pay per view, and I wasn't sure how they were going to react to that. But I mean, the fans that were there, they were there for, and they were just having a a great time. And that was pretty much. The first time in my career, because, you know, I haven't been doing this that long. Um, that was the first time in my career that I really kind of came into my own and and I wasn't thinking so much in there, and I was just feeling every moment and was just really in it. So that's my favorite match to date. Excellent. Steve. So, Shalonce Royal, on Sunday you're going to be in Warner Robins, Georgia, where yep. – Except for the NWA tapings that happened in Atlanta, it's really the first match for the – And I mean, when Larry looked back and tried to find, besides those shows where, you know, you won the title and, you know, you and Thunder Rosa <laughs> and that kind of thing, besides those tapings, it hasn't been defended within the state of Georgia in 25 years or more. And so this is a big deal. And GIPW, I don't know how familiar you are, but it's definitely going to be a home court advantage for Shalance there. She's a regular. (laughs) And the show is being built around this. Um, Mm -hmm. Does that intimidate you? I mean, because in the true, like, NWA world champion tradition, 
you have to, it's like being a Super Bowl champion, right? Every time people are playing you, you're getting their best, right? They're, they're yeah. going all out um, because they know um, a win means they, they're the champion, but also a good showing means something as well. Um, mm-hmm. Is that an intimidating prospect to you to be the champion, knowing that people are going to go all out? Um, against you. So intimidated and Camille don't really go in the same sentence unless mm. people are <laughs> intimidated by Camille. Um, I, don't, I don't get intimidated by, by people, but don't get it twisted. I do respect people. And I respect the fact that Shalante has put in the work, obviously has a good fan base that are there rooting for her. So I do respect the fact that she does have that home court advantage and that people are going to be hoping, you know, that I make one false move, one wrong misstep. And so I respect that. And I've, I've looked up matches that Shalante has had because, you know, like I played sports, I study, I study who I'm going to get in there against and I'm ready for her. Larry. So, uh, Camille, where else can we see you in the near future besides Warner Robins? I will be – I'll be at a couple signings, but as far as seeing me in action, you can see me at the Crockett Cup, which is like one of our biggest pay-per-views of the year, and that's going to be in yeah. Nashville, Tennessee at the fairgrounds. It's actually two nights. I'm not sure which night that I'm wrestling on, but might as well just come, enjoy both of them, and even come to the tapings afterwards. That's March 19th and 20th. And I have no idea who is facing me yet. I guess people are really scared to get in there with me, so I haven't heard of anything (laughs) yet. So it will be a surprise who I'm facing that night. Uh, That's that's a a nice venue to to wrestle in. I mean, I'm I'm glad wrestling is coming back to that venue. Yeah, we had NWA 70 there, and that's actually where I first uh, debuted. So it's a bit nostalgic for me and really exciting to get back in there. Great. That's excellent. Camille, you're the, to me, you're kind of the prototype of the modern woman pro wrestler, right? It's, It's interesting that you describe your favorite match as Layla Hirsch, because I think she's in that mold too. Um, women who, you know, we heard um, Tegan Knox recently, who was released by WWE, complained that, you know, they're going back to the diva era. And whether that's true or not, I think there, it's, it is true that the WWE has a number of really outstanding athletes, right? Charlotte Flair or Bianca yeah, Belair. Yeah, definitely. I, I was... Yeah, I think you're definitely in the mold of what is um, wanted in pro wrestling, like Thunder Rosa, right? She has those mixed martial arts kind of credibilities. And Mm -hmm. um, do you see – now, obviously, you have no intention of losing the NWA women's title, but what are your aspirations in pro wrestling? Um, Do you have thoughts of, oh, you know – I, I would be I would be open to working here or there. Um, do you think that way? I would just imagine someone like you seems very goal oriented. So I'm curious what your future plans would be. Yeah. So I mean, I came back into the wrestling world when I thought I was done with the NWA, kind of when they were getting right on their feet and in the beginning. So I am very NWA loyal, and I really want to help this company grow. 
and I want to see us get a TV deal. I want to see us, you know, get out to a larger audience. And really, we, we had so much momentum going before COVID happened. Um, so really just, I mean, I, I see that it's there, and I really want to help this brand grow. Am I opposed to working somewhere else in the future? Never say never, you know what I mean? Uh, in the perfect world, I'd be able to do a couple one-off matches elsewhere um, and have some really cool, you know, matchups in, in that regard. And hopefully that can bring even more eyes to the NWA. That's my biggest goal is to grow the NWA as a company. Nice. All right. Well, we really appreciate you uh, giving some of your time tonight and uh, look forward to seeing you in Warner Robins here very shortly. You guys are going to be there then, yeah? I think I am. I don't, I, I, Steve, are you going to be down in Warner Robins? Um, I don't think I'm able to. If I can, I'm going to try to get there. I'm in Florida, and so for me to get down there is quite the haul. Um, but hey, I know I Larry's going to be from there. Florida to Atlanta for practice every weekend for football. You can do it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'll say this: anybody who um, doesn't make their way to Warner Robins this Sunday to see the NWA World Women's Champion, and that is as legit as it gets, by the way. Um, that that, that the notion of what is a world title and what is not is debated, but I don't think anybody would debate um, that the NWA title, the men's title, or the women's title are not, in fact, world championships. So you would do well to get down to Warner Robins this Sunday to see the NWA world women's champion Camille take on Shalance Royal. Super cool stuff. Definitely, and I'll see everybody there, whether you're cheering me, whether you're booing me, whatever. Just get your butt in those seats. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much, Camille. We appreciate you taking time. Yep, thank you, guys. Have a good night. You too. Bye. You know, it reminds me of uh, Rob Rod posed this this question online, which, of course, immediately I, I... yeah, and I immediately shit on it and, and all that stuff. But I think it's worth a discussion. What Rob Rod had asked was, who are the women that could, be, that could win that award or be up for that award? And the thing that made me laugh, Larry, I'll say why I was so harsh in my rebuke. It's because a number of the people who were putting names up there, and Pandora's name was the one that most frequently came up, right? Yeah. Yeah, were the same people who I remember decrying. Oh, why is Pandora featured in all these main events for PCW, right? Why, you know, they're doing all of these brutal matches. Her and Aisha at the time now woed, right? Like, oh, they're doing all these main event spots with the women and blah blah blah, and you know, it feels very gratuitous and. And now these people are like, oh, Pandora is so incredible. And, would be, and, I just, and I just offered up the truth, which was, if you guys really felt this way, instead of just doing this sort of like grandstand, right, then how come I've never seen nominations for women for the Legends Awards from these people, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, my, my thing was, and again, I train them. I think they're great. I help give their career a pretty massive head start. I think even they would admit, right? 
At the same time, to me, the Legends Award is about contribution that goes beyond sort of an in-ring performance. So yeah. to, me, to me, even offering up Aisha slash Weapon of Ass Destruction at this point seems silly because she's in the prime of her career. It would be like putting Joe Black up for Legends. How can you be up for a Legend Award when you're still having your career, in essence, right? Um, so that was my thought about the women legend thing. Did you have a different thought on it? Well, what, what I was thinking about, okay, by the, uh, for lack of a better term, the usual legend standard, does uh, Pandora, is she there? Does she get there by, by the standards we've normally uh, used for legends? And, um, you know, I'm not sure. I would say that she's, she's the closest, right? I said, you know, she's the, she could be considered a modern pioneer. She certainly, yeah. especially in her last few years, she got out to different promotions and proved herself True. to be sort of an integral part. I mean, you know, Southern Fried has her in their Hall of Fame. And I think Peach State, you know, also featured her prominently. And she got, you know, NWA World Women's title shots in Tennessee against Tasha Simone, and she was kind of a frequent challenger there. And she kind of broke a lot of ground. You know, first blood match, did it. Like, wrestle dudes, did it. All that stuff. Um, and she was a tough, tough negotiator. Um, you know, famously so. She knew her own value. She was definitely not one of these women who were like, oh, you know, I'm just happy that I get featured. If not, for, I mean, she helped blaze that trail. So I would say she's got the closest thing, but she also kind of lacked, I would say legends um, who have won this award are people who continue to contribute to the scene after their in-ring career stops. And I don't see that from her. I saw her as like, once she was done with wrestling, it was like, eh, moving on, which is, again, nothing wrong with having that. But to me, that does not necessarily a legend make. Well, I think you just stated beautifully what, what, what I was thinking, that that's, that's the part that's lacking because, yeah, her, her entering accomplishments, no question, she would be there on, on, on that score and longevity and, you know, all, all that. But, yeah. Um, you, you know, and like you say, nothing wrong with that. But when she was done with wrestling, she didn't stick around in other capacities. Right. And if you look at the winners, and you know, Larry Goodman is amongst them, right? So you've got Larry Goodman and Rick Michaels and Jimmy Rave and Ox and Terry Lawler and Bill Barron. Damn, I'm doing a pretty good job, huh? Like, yeah. When you when you think about all those people, those are all people who contributed. Uh, and you look at the people who are up frequently, right? Iceberg, who is going mm -hmm. to be honored um, at ICW, which is amazing, right? That's fantastic. And you've got, um, you know, Simon Sermon, who was up this year for it, who, again, just a, a but again, you know, a pioneer, right? And, a, but a guy who con continues to contribute through training, through his opinions about pro wrestling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm open to the idea, especially for Pandora, but I think the question actually highlighted the fact that 
women have been, um, if not virtually non-existent, I think not in a prominent position for very long. That doesn't mean that that hasn't changed. It doesn't mean that someone like, say, Amy Haven, could it be up for the award someday? But I just thought, you know, the people who were just throwing names out there, it was basically any woman who they could think of. <laughs> and I thought, like, I just, my stance uh, when it comes to the awards is, do I want women to be up for the award? I love the idea that it would happen, but I don't think putting someone's name in there just to feel better about yourself about we've got a woman in there is the way to go. I think part of what's been great about the incredibly strong presence of African Americans in the awards, right, is in no way, shape, or form was it as a result of any kind of tokenism or anything else. It was legitimate, right? It's your peers voting you in. And whatever woman goes up for the Legend Award, either next year or in years past, right, whatever woman manages to get there um, should have a shot to win by a vote of the peers, not just be a name presence just so a bunch of dudes can pat themselves on the back. Because I think that that doesn't serve anything. Um, so that was my only concern when I saw the discussion. Yeah. Um, what you said just reminded me, that, uh, before we go, to, to um, give a shout-out to a couple of our um, gwhnewsandnotes.blogspot.com contributors. Uh, I thought Rob Rod wrote an exceptional show report on Southern, uh, Southern Fried. Um, yes. I mean, Markedly it, improved, in my opinion, yes. It, it, it read like an, an exciting show, and I think his, his, his writing contributed to it. I have not watched but the very beginning of it, but what his report made me want to go back and watch the show and, and, and see the whole thing. So very cool about that, and very cool that uh, Jabari sent in a report from St. Louis. I loved it. Oh, my goodness, of the Black Lives Matter show. Yeah. Boy, yeah, is that Black... great to see. And you see what I'm saying? I think – would I love to see, it's one of those reasons I encouraged, you know, like when Alicia Stockton was writing reports, I mm -hmm. was really encouraging of that because, again, it's not just about, about symbolic gestures, right? A woman for the Legends Award. I mean, the fact that, you know what's really struck me about the um, Elimination Chamber show in Saudi Arabia was not just that, you know, they went from, no girls allowed to, okay, you can have one match, to half the card were women's matches at Elimination Chamber. And that's a positive step forward. But more impressively, but quietly done, was the fact that more than, more than half the men's matches had female referees. Mm -hmm. And to me, the WWE has been a big part, along with AEW, of completely normalizing the idea of female officials and not having it be a gimmick. I think a gimmick is one thing. It's un quite another when it is normalized to the point when it isn't even mentioned. 
is to me yeah. the most powerful thing of all. It is like, you know, Matt Hankin said, I want it to be to the point where <laughs> when a black man wins for Booker or for mentor, that it isn't even noteworthy that it's a black man winning. And that's, I think that's an important place to go. I think we're getting there as far as LGBTQ, where it starts with um, somebody being booked as a baby face and not just the, you know, the angry queen. Then it evolves to sort of an open presence and an acceptance, which is where I think we are now. Um, and where you can have a list of the top 50 or 100 LGBTQ, and it's actually more than 100, and it's a very viable list. And then we'll get to the point where it's not a novelty in no way, shape, or form. And that's when you really have a true integration that's happened, when their presence isn't accepted by the majority, but their presence is just part of the majority. And it's, it's not even discussed because what's worth discussing to my kids, um, Aubrey Edwards as the referee isn't inspirational because to them it's completely normal. Right. Yeah. And I think that she's a great example. Um, not just with, her as a referee because people go back and forth oh she's too she gestures too much or she draws too much attention to herself i i think what's interesting about aubrey edwards is clearly is determined to sort of go yeah i'm here and i'm not going to apologize for my presence i'm not i don't blend in fuck you this is wrestling and you know she works in a number of capacities for aew right She's one of the head people in charge of their charity stuff. She does stuff for their gaming part. Um, and she does the um, podcast with Tony Schiavone. So I, I go, the more of that kind of thing that happens, where it's completely normal, um, where you just see it enough. As, as you know, Jabari would say, right, you need representation matters because it's the next generation that needs to see things as normal and acceptable. So they believe it. And so then they approach it with the attitude of, I'm not a pioneer. I'm not here to be a pioneer. I'm just here to succeed um, with a footing in the game. And I think that that's slowly what's going to happen. And it's wonderful to be a part of, honestly. And I must say, I get a kick out of it every time I see uh, Aja Pereira refing on WWE. Um, I think that's, you know, just because she's Georgia, that's all. She's Georgia, and I think she's very smart, right? Oh, yeah. She didn't get hung up on ego. Ego said, ego would have said, it's wrestling or nothing, right? She was smart enough to understand, no, you know what? I'm going to do this aspect of it. Because let's face it, in wrestling, it doesn't matter how much kayfabe is broken. It doesn't matter, you know, (laughs) how much we all know that it's a quote-unquote show. In nobody's universe do they equate being a referee with being a pro wrestler. Even though, at the end of the day, you still got to roll on the stage, right? (laughs) And, you know, 
a role is a role, but I'm glad she didn't have that ego about her that she recognized like, okay, you know, if this is my way in, then that's what I'm going to do. And she's outlasted, you know, even with the various purges and stuff that have taken place at NXT and WWE, she's outlasted a number of much longer tenured referees, right? She's a very Yoda, good ref. And, 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 she, and you know what? More importantly, she's a really good ref. Um, I was yeah. there at the NXT taping and saw it firsthand. And I, I sort of described, did you hear my description of the weird thing that they do with the referees at the NXT yeah, shows? Yeah, yeah, the way they do, yeah, when they come in, yeah. And you, you know what's amazing about that? is that's not an easy physical move to pull off. They basically give you two seconds to get your ass slide into the ring. They all have to do it in the exact same way. It's so weird. It's like a wrestling drill. It's like they all have to do that weird slide and roll into the ring. And you know who did it first? Her. And they all have to do it under equal footing. And, again, I think think part of the design of it, because I have to think that it's a weird Shawn Michaels thing, right? Uh-huh, I think uh-huh. part of it is is very subtly going, women's ref, men's ref, does it matter? Everybody's doing the same shit. And I think things like that are very powerful and resonant, even to a viewing audience. Now, the only people who are seeing that are not the people on TV. It's that live crowd, but there's not a person there who is patronizing about the women referees. And I think that's important as well. You know, Aubrey Edwards feels like a big match ref. Yeah. You know, when, you know, when, when Adam Page won that world title with Kenny Omega, you know, it's Aubrey Edwards who's slapping her hand down. And I think the more that that kind of thing happens, the bigger deal it is. Um, and, you know, female announcers are now, I dare say, the norm. Right, the same, the same way that Jonathan Feltner went up to audition, so did Brittany, right? And then when I was there, it was um, Aaliyah that was the um, ring announcer for NXT, and she did a great job. Um, so, what a time we're living in! Did you ever think, if we're being honest, that women's wrestling in particular would have been anything other than? Like, 20 years ago, let's be real, or 30 years ago, let's be real. Women's matches were equitable to a midgets match, were they not? Yeah. Where it was just like... They were special attractions. Yeah, they're special attractions. And, you know, in the Moolah days, I mean, those girls basically toured together, wrestled each other, had to put up with horrific conditions, Right. They were at one point banned from wrestling, right? Um, you couldn't, in New York State, you couldn't have women's wrestling, all this kind of crazy stuff. And now you could argue that some of the biggest names in wrestling in general, and in even something like deathmatch wrestling, if you say, if you go to an ICW fan and go, like, who are the biggest stars? Guess what? Sadika and Mickey Knuckles' names are going to be up there. And what a crazy thing that is. That is insane, right? That's nuts. Yeah, no, it's not even questioned. 
you know. I, I have to say, I didn't see that coming, that they would be so prominent in deathmatch wrestling, but here we are. And even here in Florida, you know, I go to those uh, Mayhem on Mill shows, which are the epitome of sort of like art, art house wrestling. And, I mean, there stars Sawyer Wreck. And when I look around at pro wrestling action here in Florida, that's been very successful. They did it on the backs of, um, you know, yes, like Chico Adams and Jake Tucker, but in equal parts, Layla Gray, Chalance Royal, Marina Tucker. Um, mm-hmm. It's incredible. Larry, what a time we're living in. You, the eras that you have seen and sort of chronicled, it's really breathtaking, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, you could definitely say that, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, like I mean, that that thing I wrote in the uh, report, the Anarchy report last weekend about seeing fourteen matches in the weekend live, and only one of them had a start, had a lockup in the match. Only one match. It's like, oh God. <laughs> How yes. things have changed. <laughs> All right, time to get out of here, man. Yes. Well, thank you to the NWA Women's Champion, Camille. Go see her and Shalante this Sunday at GIPW. And next week, we're going to be back with another tipping point, and we're going to have Nick Patrick, legendary referee, and now the guy who's going to relaunch Deep South Wrestling. Great. Great awesome. Um so, Larry, real quick, where are you going to be this weekend? Probably Terminus Thursday and probably GIPW Sunday. I believe Duke's going to be at Anarchy. I think if Rob Rod, Rob Rod may be at Terminus also, and then I don't, I don't know what else he's got on his plate. G, GWH News and Notes at blogspot.com. We're covering all this shit. <laughs> well, for, for Larry Goodman, I'm Stephen Platinum. Thank you for joining us for the tipping point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com. For-